It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. And uh, Ohio State, which once was the greatest team in the history of basketball, is now the worst team in the history of basketball and is at risk of missing the NCAA tournament and possibly even the uh, the uh, NIT, if, if that's you know even, even on the plate for this team that might just have to quit basketball in shame because this is so horrible and pathetic and I'm so angry and upset. Um, they, Ang- so angry, losers, angry and upset. I mean, I'm the guy who's been standing for this team as a Final Four team. I, I, I think they had uh, decided to personally let me individually as a fan down. Yeah, uh, they actually they got together and were like, you know, this this we could ride this sucker out all the way to the championship. But man, that Andy Vance dude, like, it's you know, is it worth it? Is it worth it to keep winning? That if is, he's going to be is happy. The only conceivable uh, answer I can come up with, really. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> it's, I feel like it's conceivable that Ohio State would lose to Michigan, right? And that's something that we talked about last time. I think it's conceivable that Ohio State would lose to Iowa because you got a pissed off Luke, Luca Garza coming back and saying, all right, well, I'm a, I'm a good basketball player, not a bad basketball player. Uh, I did not expect Ohio State to kind of get bit in the ass by Michigan State. Now, granted, we can we can complain all dubcasts. We can spend the next hour about how incredibly horrific the officiating was in that game, and which you know really it, it shifted that game. I don't I don't normally complain about the refs, but in that instance, I gotta believe that had there been at least neutral officiating, Ohio State looks at. Maybe they pull that sucker off. Um, but they look terrible against Iowa. It just feels like this team is on a downward slope, particularly offensively, right? Like, it's not a great defensive team. It's never going to be a great defensive team. But they just can't find a shot or a bucket in a lot of instances. And the three-point shot in particular, which has been their bread and butter for 20-plus games up to this point, is gone. And Justin Arns can't get a shot and they're just, they're just not doing it. And I don't know, like, I'm not a b-ball expert. I, I, I think a lot of it is they haven't been super great at, you know, producing shots this year. They've just been hitting contested ones, but yeah, man, it, it's something that they really need to figure out and quick because again, it's not just that they're not hitting their shots. It's that they're not creating their shots either. And that's, that's an issue. So I was under the impression that we were actually going to spend the entire uh, broadcast <laughs> talking about how horrible the officiating I mean. was at Michigan State. I, I do want to get that off to off my chest for a minute. I, you know, yeah, I'm generally one who says those who gripe the loudest about the refs uh, are 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 the ones who have the least to gripe about. That you know, your your team just needs to play better, or uh, you know, just build a bridge and get over it. This was a game I thought was just as poorly an officiated affair as I've seen in a while in college basketball. I mean, you, you know that Tom Izzo gets the breaks uh, in his own arena. Like, th- th- that's known. Yeah. And I've got a huge a huge amount of respect for Tom Izzo and what he's done with that program. I mean, he's, he's as good as it gets, uh, you know, outside of, you know, two or three guys who have won a bunch of titles. But – Man, that was hard to watch. Number one, uh, that phantom goaltending call that was obscene. The mm. three-point shot that was waved <laughs> off, despite the fact that, like, you could clearly see the the ball was halfway to the bucket yeah. by the time the shot clock went off. 
Uh, I mean, there's cons- some conspiracy theorists out there that said that the uh, broadcasters didn't have their clock synced up right with um, the 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 actual official time. I, I don't buy that. I think it looked it looked pretty bad. Uh, friend of the program, you know, Kyle Rowland made the point that it doesn't change the fact that Ohio State didn't make a field goal the last four minutes and 44 seconds of the game. You know, that's a fair point, Kyle. I think uh, guys need to make their freaking layups. I cursed a couple of times <laughs> at some bunnies that, yeah. you know, they just didn't make. And the flip side of that argument is if you're getting tackled under the basket and right. nobody seems to care, it's harder to make those shots. So, you know, take the good with the bad. Sure. If you win by 20, it's hard to blame the officials for the outcome. Uh, you know, it's hard for the officials to dictate the outcome. I mean, but it's, it, it's one of those things. It was really tough to watch. I, I made the comment after it was... the game after Chris Holtman got teed up the second time and, <laughs> yeah. and thrown out the building with 1.4 seconds left on the clock. Uh-huh. That, you know, he should have gone full on Bobby Knight and thrown a chair at least twice. Uh, the Big Ten officiating crew was, I, I thought, an embarrassment. And, and I give him credit for being disciplined enough not to draw the fine in the postgame press conference. But damn, I was disappointed he didn't. I wanted yeah. him to go super scion because it 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 was earned at that point. Anyway, yeah, I mean, look, and that's the other thing. You're making millions of dollars. Take the fine. Screw it. <laughs> you, know, you you know how you feel. We know how you oh. just go ahead and verbalize it. It's fine. Yeah. yeah, it was. No, I I agree. I'm glad that he got teed up, and I'm glad that he got himself kicked out of the game because it was egregious and stupid. And that's bad. that's one of those things I will say about basketball coaching. There are a lot of times you see a coach get teed up for mouthing off, and you just want to say, you know, dude, grow up. You know, yeah, Fran, come you on, know, give it a rest. It's fine. But, but there are times when it is absolutely the right thing to do as a coach to go nuts, you know, out of, uh, as, as he said, after the game, um, you know, that you're always going to fight for your guys. And I think yeah. there are times when the guys on the court need you to lose your crap because of something that's happened. That's pretty, oh, yeah. and it was, it, it was pretty egregious. Now that said, that has absolutely nothing to do with the game before or after that they mm-hmm. lost in this now three game slide. Uh, which, you know, I'll be honest, going back to admitting that I've been standing for them as, uh, as a Final Four team up to this point, I mean, I think a lot of us could have seen a 5-0 and run out of these last five games, and, and there's also a scenario where you expected them to drop maybe two, three of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous that it's getting away from them. I hope, I hope I'm wrong. This Illinois game was... Uh, <sighs> That's pretty heavy now. Well, I think if they want to maintain, I mean, obviously, you know, they're they're down to seventh, and in a lot of projections, they're as a two seed. Which, I mean, you know, <laughs> Crimea River on two seed, right? Like that's still well, pretty damn good. Well, there's a school of thought that says you're better off as a two or three, maybe, um, depending on what bracket. Then you rather than be a, a, you know, the fourth one, yeah, I would agree with that. I, yeah, I mean, we looked at some of those model brackets, bracket. and it was like, this is yeah, not going to be ideal. <laughs> I absolutely agree with that. I I think the the fourth um one seed is just going to get absolutely screwed uh with that said if you're a top two seed you're also probably going to get screwed <laughs> like like you're still the, the thing is the only way that you really don't uh have to worry if you if you have final four aspirations for this team uh you still have to contend with the fact that the top three teams in the country are really 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 damn good and ohio state like you know even to revisit that michigan game, Ohio State battled against michigan it, it, that wasn't a game where you saw some of the things that we've been seeing against 
uh, Michigan State and Iowa or Ohio State just cannot, you know, buy a bucket and they're having trouble making their own shot and all that kind of stuff. That was a that was a haymaker of a game where everybody's just, you know, throwing punches and it's just it was a really competitive, high level game. Michigan beat them. I mean, Michigan was just that much better than Ohio State and they Michigan didn't have a great game. They just have guys who can make shots from anywhere and they're a really unbelievable team. Um, high state can play at that level. They can beat those teams, but it's going to require them to do better than what they did against Michigan state and Iowa. They got to beat Illinois, obviously. I mean, that's, you know, if you want to get back in this conversation, you've got to take down Illinois. And that's, you know, that's another game where you've got a team. And I, I said this last week, they're trying to prove something, right? They're trying to show that they're worthy potentially of a, a one seed or something like that. Like that's, that's really it. The top three teams behind Michigan in the big 10 are all vying for that. You've already got that loss against Iowa. You got to hope that somebody helps you out. Mm-hmm. And then of course you got, you got to win out. You got to, you know, beat Illinois and then make some noise in the big 10 tournament. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be rough. It's going to be a little bit rough for them. They've got to turn some things around offensively, especially like it's just, they're, they're not going to win games. They're not going to win, you know, like 55, 45 games. That's not going to happen. That's, that's just not going to work for these guys. Yeah. So you've got to start finding some buckets against Iowa in particular. I, that was a man. That was a rough game to watch against Iowa. They had, I think what, 17 threes or something, um, which you're like, I was like, okay, 17 threes. That's, I mean, that's nothing. They hit five of them. Um, it's just, they have to figure out a way to create shots and getting Justin Arns involved 18 minutes on the court and two three point attempts, two field goal attempts is just, it's not going to get it done. It really isn't going to get it done. EJ, you know, EJ will eat. He'll do what he needs to do, but everybody else has to contribute. And, you know, again, we, we sing the virtue of his guys like Zed key. Well, Zed didn't do a whole hell of a lot against either Iowa or Michigan state. And he's a young dude and he's going to have lapses. That's fine. But again, it's, it's really, everybody has to step up their game at this point. And right now they seem to have been a little blindsided by what looks like a big 10 starting to really ramp up for tournament season. Honestly, like everybody seems to have flipped that, that extra switch to get into gear and Ohio state just hasn't done it yet. Yeah. I think the, the thing we have talked about all season long as this team has gotten progressively better and better, at least seem to be, you know, moving up the, the ratings and the rankings, it's, it's just the wide gulf between how efficient they are offensively and how not efficient they are defensively. So mm-hmm. the good news, you know, Ohio State fans, if you're looking for some, is is that Michigan and Iowa are two of the top five offensive teams in the country in, in terms yep. of Ken Palm's adjusted efficiency, uh, offensive efficiency ratings. Ohio State's number three, right? So you're talking about three of the five best offensives in the country involved in those ball games. Now, Michigan State's clearly the outlier. Um, and, and guess what? You know, every team has a clunker every now and then, right? There's sure. one undefeated team left in uh, big boy college basketball right now, and that's Gonzaga. And they are you know, pretty darn good on both ends of the ball. Michigan right. really, you know, give the devil his due. Michigan is maybe the most complete team in the country uh, in terms of balancing how efficient they are offensively and defensively. Number five offense, number four defense, according to Ken Palm. So that's just, you know, that's the kind of balance Ohio State doesn't have as the number three <laughs> offense and the number 81 
defense as of the yeah. most recent Ken Palm ratings. So, I mean, that's, and we've been saying that for weeks. So the, the good news is being the number three offensive team in the country uh, is going to get you past a lot of teams most of the time. And maybe you're going to eventually throw a stinker like uh, losing to Michigan state. That maybe is better than the numbers would indicate. Mm-hmm. Certainly at home, late in the season, peaking with something to prove to get into the tournament, as you noted. Uh, but Michigan and Iowa are two just really good ball clubs. Now, Iowa isn't as good defensively as uh, a lot of teams are better at Ohio State. You know, they're maybe number 59 um, in that defensive rating. So they're they're further down the peg. But when well, they, I mean, but they shut up Ohio State. Right. Often. Like, that's the thing. Like. To me, Ohio State has to have a good offensive performance against Illinois. Like, even if they lose, right, which would be rough. I mean, you don't want to go four games in a row here. But they have to have a good offensive performance to show that they can carry some momentum through the Big Ten tournament into March Madness because that's that's how they win. They have to make buckets. They have to create offensive chances. If they can't do that, they're not beating anybody of significance in either the Big Ten tournament or the NCAA tournament. And I know people are like, yeah, final four. Well, you got to get there first. And there's a lot of teams. This is a really interesting tournament because there's a, it's a deep tournament. There's a lot of teams that can give higher ranked teams, a lot of pressure and a lot of headaches. And yeah, man, I, you got to get back on your horse and you got to start scoring like you had been because uh, that's, it's just not going to cut it. Right. Well, and, like 67 and- points, 57 points that that will get you beat and maybe second or third round in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and, and, and you hit the day. I mean, so three-point shot has, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. And in past years, I would have I would have fallen back on the old cliche that, you know, basketball is a streaky game, and especially shooting from distance. And then you, you've come into this season, and Ohio State's been playing this this modern game of basketball where it's, it's all about uh, the three-point shot and, and yeah. following sort of that Golden State – sort of sort of uh you know we're gonna we're gonna just outscore everybody that way uh and and it's worked great right they've been fantastic they've been shooting 45 50 percent from distance they shot 29 percent versus iowa Mm -hmm. so so if you're not if you're not making those shots they're not good enough defensively to shut these high-powered big 10 offenses down uh but but you look the huge difference to me the stat that jumped off the page yeah you only made 29 percent of your three-point shots it's only five shots but it wasn't like iowa made you know 25 three-pointers they made 10 so that's pretty good but the difference is look at the number of shots that iowa took compared to ohio state ohio state was 23 of 51 um field goal percentage iowa was 29 of 62 so they took you know 10 more shots 11 more shots than ohio state did you know, high state just couldn't find shots that night. Yeah. And, and, and you and I talked about that off the air, you know, Arns has been uh, Mr. Consistency up until his last couple of games. And it's not that he's missing shots. He's just not taking them. He's not right. finding the shots. Well, and he's not great. I mean, he's never been really great at manufacturing his own shot, but that, that's, <laughs> you still got to get open. You still got to try, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's wild to me that you've got a guy in his position who really is like, he's, he's his role is to put pressure on the other team, right? When you have a guy who's making that consistent uh, amount of threes, your goal really is to find the shot at the right time 
and put pressure on the other team. Even if you're you're not making every shot, it doesn't matter. You've got to make them think that they've got to start going tit for tat when it comes to, you know, threes. You're not shooting, it's not going to work. So, yeah, man, it's it's not even like it's not about the fact that he's not hitting 60% of his threes. You just got to you got to shoot. Shooters got to shoot, and I don't see him. I don't see the shots right now, and it's, it's wild. And here's the thing. You're going up against the Illinois team, right, coming up. Illinois scores a lot of points. They score a lot of points. They give up some points, but you have to be able to keep pace with this team that is going to be, like, first of all, they're going to be pissed. And secondly, they're going to want to be you know, putting up 90 points if they can. Uh, you have to be able to keep pace with that because otherwise you're you're just you're dead in the water and you're dealing you know size wise you got Kofi Cockburn who's gonna again he's got what like four inches on everybody on your team mm-hmm. you got to be able to handle that and score it's just they got to get back into the um, the mentality that they had before this losing streak because it's they're not designed to play a different way they, they really are the modern fun and gun team, but they, they can't rely on like, okay, well, you know, shots aren't falling. So let's do our defensive thing. That's not them. That ain't them. And, and so that means you got to score. And if they don't, then, then they might be dead in the water. So I am excited to see how they try to rebound against Illinois. I'm also not incredibly confident in this game. I think it's entirely possible that only comes out and and pops them in the mouth and wins this game. Um, Because I have to see Ohio State start to create their own shot. That's yeah, I think really that good. I think the number one thing they've got to do to do that is is move the ball. They've got to move the ball better. If you look back the first twenty games this season, they were pretty fantastic. I mean, just straight up Normandale moving the ball. And if you look at the Iowa and Michigan games in particular, just look at the number of assists and the difference between the winning team and the losing team in both those games. The Michigan game, Michigan had nineteen assists. Ohio State had eleven. The Iowa game. Iowa had 19 assists. Ohio State had eight. Eight. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge disparity. And and if you watch that Michigan game in particular, it was amazing how well they moved the ball. And they were just really fantastic. I think Howard's got uh, a great thing going there with how he gets his guys yep. um, to, to create space, create those open looks. That was the other thing, too. And, you know, as a fan, you're watching, and especially if you, if you, if you have one eye on the Twitter.com while you're – while you're watching the basketball game. I'm not saying I recommend that because you can read a lot of goofy crap out there, but you know, the number of times you'll see somebody like, Hey, you guys want to step up and like stop giving them these wide open threes. But the reason that these threes were wide open was how well Michigan was able to move the ball, move the ball, space things out and get the shots they wanted. Ohio state's got to get back to that because they were doing it earlier in the season and doing it well. Uh, they, they've got to find that again. And, and I think that will, that will help them get that three point percentage back up where it had been when it seemed like they could just shoot the lights out every night. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so you got, you got the season finale, basically you got the season finale against Illinois coming up. You've got the big 10 tournament. We'll see what that looks like depending on your seating and all that. And then you got March madness and, and things are going to get super real really quick. So Saturday, that's a huge game, and uh, you know I think that'll set the tone for a lot of stuff going forward. Also, the, the, other, the, tone, the other big thing, by the oh. way, we can't overlook with this Illinois game. The other big thing is what that means for seeding of the Big Ten tournament because right. there's a you know there's a difference there between getting two buys and and just getting the one. And <laughs> the, the last bracket that I saw that had Ohio State 
missing out on uh, the double buy had them playing uh, Purdue. And I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> great. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, Ohio State's personal fantastic. kryptonite. That's exactly what we wanted the first uh, first game of the Big Ten tournament. Yeah. Super. Um, so, yeah. So, speaking of preparing for the future, uh, Ohio State, of course, is, is going to do a little spring ball coming up here soon. I first of all, it's great that you know football can kind of like return to its roots and we get to experience maybe a, a normal ish spring that we follow and talk about and go, wow, they're gonna practice and all this great stuff. Uh, Dan had a really great article on the site about the Ohio State's to do list, uh, including just making sure people get reps. Obviously, the quarterback situation that's that's huge. Um, making sure the defensive scheme fits the players finding those players to be in the defensive scheme. And then of course, you know, figuring out what the run game is going to look like. So if you're Ryan day, Andy, and you're looking at this team, what's your number one, like, okay. Excluding the quarterback. Cause obviously that's the most important, you know, part of any team in the centerpiece, blah, blah, blah. We know that we'll get to the quarterback chat here in a second, but aside from determining what's going on with quarterback, what would be your number one priority for the team as Ryan day? Yeah, I'm, I would totally agree with the, the, the point Dan made in, in that piece about kind of the five keys here for, for spring ball. And it's, and it's about defense. You know, he talked about the defensive scheme and finding out who the stars are. Uh, that's what I need to see the most. You know, I don't have a worry in the world about a Ryan day coached offense. Yeah. You're going to have a first time, mm-hmm. uh, starter quarterback. I, okay, super. You got a hundred quarterbacks in the room who could all go out there and light it up. I, I, I'm not worried about it. Um, right. you know, and, and, and Dan also mentioned the key pieces in the running game. Uh, okay. All right. I'll, I'll grant you that. Uh, who's, who's going to be the bell cow now that Trey Sermon is, uh, is gone. Okay. You've got, uh, Master Teague, Marcus Crowley, Steel Chambers, Mayan Williams. I, again, I, you've got options. I'm not worried about that. Somebody will run the ball. Uh, the offensive line will do its thing. It's going to be great. I'm I'm not concerned about those things until I have a reason to be. The Ohio State defense. Oh God, you know that's we got to figure that out. That's uh, yeah. That that's an issue that continues to bother me until I don't have a reason to feel like the silver bullets are back. So that's the thing I want to see. Uh, is it scheme? Is it personnel? I personally believe that we probably give Kerry Combs too much crap um, and, and not enough focus paid on paid attention on personnel. You just can't mm-hmm. lose what a bajillion first rounders over the past five years out of your defensive secondary and, and expect not to, at some point, take a step back. That's what they did. You took a step back. You just had a lot of guys leave early to go play on Sundays and, you know, okay. So you could say it's got to be addressed in recruiting, maybe get better at that, but it, you know, it's one of those things that happen. It's, you can't have every single position on the field, just continually reloaded with future first round draft picks. It right. It doesn't work that way. Even for a program like at Ohio state, it just doesn't work that way all the time. So I want to see what they come up with. One of the things I love about Ryan Day on the offensive side is that he seems to adjust and adapt what he does to the personnel he has. Can we recreate that on the, the defense? You know, I think last year we really missed Jeff Halfley in that regard. He seemed to be a guy who was pretty good at that. And gosh, you look at his screaming Eagles, uh, did pretty well for themselves in his first year in Boston. So can Ken Combs and the rest of the defensive brain trust make that happen? I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. Let's see what happens. What kind of role does now Washington have? You know, that's uh, it's going to be interesting. Can Matt Barnes coach up the secondary? Uh, let's find out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Like a lot of people are definitely looking towards that 
I mean, people are going to look at the defensive secondary. I got I honestly think the defensive secondary is going to be um, improved quite a bit this this past year or this next year. I, I actually think that you've got some guys, seven banks, you know, especially who those are legit players. And I'm not really worried about the talent there. I think they're good on that. I'm worried more specifically if I'm Ryan Day, I'm like, oh, my God, let's <laughs> let's make sure that the guy you know, who's sticking around, who's gonna, you know, who, who didn't sign on the dotted line decided not to, to, you know, spurn us for uh, Knoxville uh, is kind of earning his keep because you gotta, you got to make sure that your linebackers are, you know, legit, right? Like you're losing everything and you need to make sure that that's going to be a solid um, part of your defense. So I, yeah, I, that to me would be priority one uh, beyond figuring out, you know, CJ Stroud or Kyle core, all that kind of stuff. I, you got to make sure those linebackers are going to be good. Your, your defensive line should be fine. You get Haskell Garrett back, which is awesome. Um, but defensive ends have to step up a little bit and you've got to make sure that you continue to stuff the run. So yeah, linebacker play for me, man, that's huge. You, I, I'm not worried about running back. I think they'll be fine there. I'm not worried about wide receiver, obviously. And that's going to help the, you know, whoever the quarterback is enormously. But um, if the defense wants to get better, they've got to make sure that that whoever is starting at linebacker, the, the players that are there are not running around like chickens with their heads cut off, taking bad angles, missing assignments, all that kind of stuff. They've, they've got to be solid. They don't be great, but they got to be solid because that's going to, that's going to affect the tenor, the tenor of the entire rest of the defense. So if they, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I want, I want them to get better too. That's where they got to get better because you're losing a lot. So I, I don't know. It's, I don't know. Are you, let me ask you this. Are you optimistic about those things happening? I mean, I'm an optimist by nature. Sure. So, so I tend to go into every season with a note of optimism. Yeah. Um, I mean, I will say, this one's a struggle because of what you just said. And, and I look at the number of people, you know, I said it about the defensive secondary specifically and with losing Akuda and Damon Arnett, Jordan Fuller, and so on. Um, but you make a compelling argument with the number of people just off the defense in general who are moving on to greener pastures by hook or by crook. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of defensive I mean, talent gone. Seriously, linebacker, what you're losing, you're losing tough, you're losing Browning, you got Hilliard out, or Pete's out. You, a lot of people, I would actually be really interested if Ohio State fans, how many Ohio State fans can name more than like one linebacker on the roster right now? Like, seriously, can you name more than one? would be a good question to ask people because yeah. my guess is no. I guess most people probably couldn't name any at this point in time. Um, it's it's going to be huge change. And hopefully you can find a Ryan Chazier in that group, but I don't know, man. I think I'm, I'm a little concerned about that. I, I'm yeah, curious to see how that's going to play out. You're right. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the, that's the unit that is taking the biggest chunk uh of its time and you could say okay losing jonathan cooper and, and tommy togi i that's pretty big too uh, yeah but you could also look and say all right you've got some horses behind them um getting haskell garrett back is a big deal um and 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 you're expecting guys like harrison to step up and and you know maybe maybe make a big leap this, mm -hmm. this go around so you, you maybe feel good about your your options there or opportunities maybe for young guys to step up but yeah the uh 
the linebacking core is going to be a pretty, I mean, I'll say unproven entity. You've seen some of these guys make, uh, you know, a few appearances in games. I'm sure if we went to snap counts and get a, an idea, but there's a big gap between the number of guys, the four guys who are leaving and some relative youth uh, in that, what has been kind of the strength of the defense here for a couple seasons. Yeah. And it's going to be a, a fairly young team in general too. I mean, it's, this is yeah, you know, true. Not a ton of senior leadership. It, well, I mean, obviously you're going to have some, I'm not saying the senior leadership that is that's there is going to be bad or irrelevant. I'm just saying no, no, just like, sheer numbers. Yeah. Sheer numbers. And, you know, at a position like linebacker, that matters a lot. You need to have experience. You want to have reps and that's, you know, and that's the other thing. If, if you want to talk about Ohio State uh, defensively and, and maybe being a little not as, you know, up to par as people think, they didn't have a lot of reps. They didn't have a lot of uh, consistency when it came to practice and whatnot. And I, I think, honestly, if you get a legitimate spring, you know, if you get some actual time and then you actually are able to have a normal summer and then you have an actual fall camp. All of those things combined are going to really help this team develop. It's not like these coaches don't know what they're doing. You know, I understand you see gaudy, you know, offensive numbers from your opponents. You're like, oh, God, the Ohio State can't play defense anymore. Silver bullets are dead. But it, it's it really does matter. Reps really, really do matter. I'm actually really glad that Dan mentioned that because that's that's the biggest thing right now. And, you know, obviously for the quarterbacks, again, whoever ends up getting that position, um, you know, that's a big deal. But that matters for the defense just as much. And hopefully, you know, if you're looking at uh, the players that are on the offensive side of the ball and can challenge and hopefully help develop the uh, the players on the defensive side of the ball, then that, that'll, you know, rising tide raises all ships kind of thing. Um I don't know. It, this is definitely, this is, you know, Ryan day has proven himself to be a really great administrator, somebody who really understands how to, uh, you know, manage a team and, and, and just get everybody kind of on the same page. People love playing for him, but this is a challenge for him. It, you, you gotta be able to sustain this. And part of that means filling in giant gaping gaps yeah. <laughs> in, your, in your personnel. That's kind of the point. That's what you got to do when you're, you know, dealing with hundred plus, like that's, that's a big part of it. And one thing that Ohio state cannot afford if they want to keep up with the Clemson's and Alabama's of the world is you, you can't have giant gaps in any positional group. You've got to be able to have people step in right away and be really good. Well, um, and not that's for what nothing, those guys do that's exactly what we saw, you know, that, and, and I think the thing about a loss like the Alabama game uh, is, is it shows you things right that you need to get better at. if you go back yeah. you go back to uh you know previous ohio state loss well just go back to when urban meyer got here you know he he set the standard alabama is the standard and, mm -hmm. and so then you know you went through this period where it was like god we lost to clemson a hundred times over the past 10 years and it just you know got graded and graded and graded on your soul and they figured out how to handle clemson okay so right. but but we got to remember alabama is the standard so you know, you go through a loss like that, and 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 Woody Hayes said it: nothing cleanses your soul like getting the hell kicked out of you. Uh, and and you know, you could go. You, you, the last season was great because the Clemson win was fantastic, and nobody expected Ohio State to beat Alabama. So your expectations were exceeded, maybe on the one hand, and met on the other. And so you could go out feeling like this was a great season. 
was a mm-hmm. really good season for Ohio State, even if they didn't win the title. In the title game, that that counts for something. So can they get back there again? I don't know. See, see me again in a couple months. I don't know. Yeah, and that's, you know, I I want Ohio State to be able to, um, you know, continuously prove that they're just as great as Alabama and all this yeah. other stuff. But, like, it's it really does come down to how do you sustain, you know, success like how do you make sure that you know you're you're not having deficiencies in any one spot and i agree with you i mean those types of games reveal weaknesses and you don't want those weaknesses to become endemic because you see you've seen that in the past where teams have been very good gone on great runs for multiple years and then they start to kind of lose their grip on what they were because they can't fill in gaps, right? Like they, they might like, I think of Oregon as an example, right? Where you have other worldly players at certain positions, but you just cannot continue to develop at the positions you really need. And with Oregon defensively, I mean, they had some huge deficiencies, particularly on a uh, defensive line and linebacker. They just couldn't keep up with the best teams in the country. You know, Oklahoma has had a similar issue in a lot of cases where they just, they have not been able to maintain that high level of play again, you know, first world problems, right? Like you're talking about the difference between being the fifth best team in the country and the third best team in the country. But in this case, there's a huge gap between that top tier, which again is is Alabama and and Clemson. Although I could argue that I think Clemson might be slipping a little bit as well. And then the next tier, which is teams that kind of hope that they get a chance to take a shot at the King and Ohio state fans and Ohio state sees itself as the King. Right. So if that's the case, you can't have gaps. You cannot have gaps because Alabama doesn't, they don't, they just mm-hmm. don't. And you've got to be able to maintain that same level. And that's, that's almost an impossible thing to ask, but if that's your standard, then that's what you got to be aiming for. Yeah. Um, and that requires a linebacking core that is one of the best in the country. And that's, again, that's going to be a big, big ask uh, for a group of players that have very little playing time. So yeah, and, I and the thing that I I'm going to be really interested about, and I mentioned it in terms of talking about the defensive scheme, you know, and, and uh, Dan wrote about it, and I think that's something I'm really curious to see how it goes because one of the one of the things that's still a bit of an unknown to me, if you go and you look at the rise and fall of of Urban Meyer's tenure at Ohio State, the ups and downs, I mean, you know, the, mm-hmm. going from a national title to you know, some clunky uh, losses and, and back up again to being in the hunt a lot of that to me had to do with how well he did retaining and hiring and replacing assistants. Yeah. And you, you know, you can look and, and, and try kind of trace that, you know, who are the, who are the, where were the weaknesses and okay. Then was that personnel, was that scheme, was that coaching? And, and you could see, you know, this pretty clear, um, you know, sort of natural experiment with regard to the play from Ohio state's wide receiving core. I wouldn't say that Ohio state suddenly got, a million years better at recruiting the wide receiver position. They obviously had talent in the room the entire time, but mm-hmm. just the quality of individual instruction skyrocketed when you bring in a guy like Hartline. Yep. So, you know, that's what I want to see with Ryan day. Now he's had an off season where he's had some, some transition. And did it, does this, does this staff, does this kind of concept of, it's not quite promoting from within, but it sort of is as opposed to going out and bringing in, 
some big name or, or, you know, Urban Meyer had a mix, right. Of young guys who were quote unquote coaching with their hair on fire and then bringing in, uh, let's say a guy like Kevin Wilson, who was a former, uh, head coach himself. You look at, uh, Nick Saban, as I like to call it, the Tuscaloosa school for reformed, former head coaches, Hmm. you know, that's been a great fit for him. But Ryan day is a younger coach who doesn't have 16 national championship rings on his hand. Maybe he's more comfortable coaching, you know, younger guys moving up in the profession. I don't know. I just, I'm really interested as a, as a sort of quasi interested observer, how does that work? What does the, what kind of leadership lessons do we learn from his hiring and promoting and what kind of a a CEO he is of the program? Yeah. And that's, and that's really the test, right? And, you know, Nick Saban's got that down to a science and it's, (laughs) you know, you have everything working in concert, right. As this, you know, CEO and making sure that, you know, you're, you're not deficient in any one area. Um, and you're always looking to shore up every area at all times. That's, that's gotta be both exhausting and incredibly difficult. And, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't want to like sound like I'm too negative because this far Ryan Day's done an incredible job at managing, you know, one of the most wide-ranging ridiculously high expectations you know football programs in the country right like there's not just a ton of pressure it's just logistically a gigantic job um and for a guy who had not been a head coach to the point where he took over this job i think he he did it he's done a pretty damn good job you just you know like i said you've got to you're holding yourself against the best and that's something that you've got to always kind of keep in your head and i'm sure he does um, I want to ask you this, Andy. So we've we've got we've gone through a bunch of weird seasons, weirdly amorphous schedules, all that kind of stuff. How's wrestling doing right now? We're going into tournament time, and I know that's that holds true for for wrestling as well. So what what's the status of the uh, the Russell Bucks? Yeah, I think you said it well. Like it's it it this season has felt really weird in a lot of ways uh, for a lot of sports. Maybe maybe all the sports we follow, wrestling especially, because you look at the normal wrestling schedule. The team kicks off competitions in early November. Usually there's a couple open tournaments. So they'll head to maybe say a, a Michigan state open. They'll head to the cliff Keen Las Vegas invitational where they've won more times than not over the past 10 years. Uh, and then they'll start with out of conference dual meets, you know, there in November, December, and then typically pick up with the big 10 schedule uh, after the first of the year. Well, this year it was all big 10, of course, uh, mm-hmm. nine duels contested in seven weeks. You know, they had a couple of tri meets where they wrestled two teams, uh, the same day at the same location, just to try to get everything into a really truncated season. So it just felt like this was such a fast season for the wrestling program. And you didn't get to see a lot of reps out of guys back to what we talked about earlier with the football team and the importance right. of spring reps. You know, you've got guys on the team who are going into the Big Ten tournament having wrestled eight, nine matches, uh, where normally, you know, they'd be going into the postseason with maybe 20 under their belt. Mm -hmm. So this is a really different year in that regard. Uh, And it's a different year for Ohio State in the sense that they've got um, a handful of guys who are All-American contenders for sure, maybe a couple national title contenders. So I go down through the projections for seeding this coming weekend will be the Big Ten tournament. And that'll, that'll really uh, give us an idea of what the postseason is going to look like come NCAA tournament two weeks later. But Malik Heinzelman at 125 has been uh, really fantastic this year. He's taken a huge leap 
um, and, and really now wrestling toward his talent as he has physically grown into the weight. He was an undersized lightweight at 125 the last couple of seasons. He's clearly put the time in in the gym and, and looks like a much stronger and more confident wrestler. So he's going to go into this probably as the three seed. Okay. Uh, which, which would be, I think, a great spot for him. Um, you know, Jordan Decatur at 133 and, and probably looking at uh, Dylan D'Amelio at 141. Both those guys are probably a six, seven, eight seed somewhere in that ballpark. Um, they're guys who have had, you know, decent seasons against guys that they should beat and not great seasons uh, against guys who are going to be in the top three, four seeds at both those spots. Um, and D'Amelio, you know, he's a first-time starter. Decatur, he's a true sophomore. So, you know, they're, they're guys who are still relatively young. Uh, Decatur's a guy you might like to see at 141 next year. I'll, I don't know. How, by uh, the way, how how often do guys at this level change, like, weight classes? Oh, because yeah. that's interesting to me. Because is it is it something that happens frequently, or is it, like – by that time you're mostly locked into what you're going to try to do. No, it happens quite a bit. And even, I mean, if you look at uh, Logan Steber as an example, you know, ar- arguably the best guy to ever do at Ohio state uh, four time NCAA champion. And I'm very fond of saying that more men have walked on the moon than have won four NCAA wrestling titles. He is in truly rarefied air, but he won half his titles at 133 and the other half at 141. So, hmm. you know, and you think about, okay, how much difference is there between hundred and 33 pounds and 141 pounds. Well, it's eight pounds, right? So yeah. it's not, not a huge amount of difference. So what you'll typically find is that a guy who's wrestling 131 is going to, 133 rather, is going to walk around, you know, maybe in the 140s um, any given day. And then he's going to cut to get down to weight for the tournament or the duel. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the, the rules for weigh-ins matter a lot. So you'll hear him talk about, okay, it's uh, um, what the, what the time is, you know, so if you're wrestling a tournament, you might go weigh in in the morning and then you may have a couple hours before you wrestle your first match. So you go in maybe super dehydrated or, or something along those lines, depending on what kind of cut you're doing. If your cut's mostly a water cut, or if you've, you've been um, trimming down and Decatur's a guy who last year as a true freshman didn't do a great job of managing his weight. And so you would see where he'd get into the third period of matches and he would just be depleted. He'd just be flat because he didn't have enough energy because he was yeah. having to cut too much weight to make it at 133. He's much better about that this year, but but he's a very big 133. He's a really stout um, young wrestler. So no, guys do um, do move around spots. And if you look at Ohio State these last couple of seasons, they've had quite a few guys who have moved around. I look at a guy like Gavin Hoffman, who last year started off wrestling 184 because he wanted to make the roster and he's a blue chip guy. Uh, 184 was too much of a cut for him. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, it just, it was too hard. He ended up wrestling as a heavyweight in a bunch of the open tournaments prior to COVID. And now he's back and he's wrestling at 197. And it looks like, you know what, that's the right weight for him. So, you know, guys will, and you, and you look at even a guy like Kyle Snyder, right? So Kyle, uh, again, uh, arguably one of the, one of the best all around athletes Ohio state's ever fielded, um, in terms of his accomplishments, you know, he wrestled, heavyweight which technically could have been up to 285 you know he is a guy that walks around at, at you know probably 215 225 something along those lines wrestles mm-hmm. wrestles 97 kilos internationally you know so his freshman year he wrestled at 197 197 pounds and then you know from then on then his uh, last three seasons we won 
the NCAA tournament each year. Uh, he's wrestling it. At, at, yeah, I thought it was completely wild that a guy his size was, you know, heavyweight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you watched him wrestle Adam Kuhn his senior season. Right, who had like 80 man, pounds on him. Oh, God, you know, Kuhn probably walks around at 315 <laughs> most yeah. of the time and, and would cut down to 285. Yeah. Uh, and, and Ohio State's had undersized heavyweights for a while now. So Tate Orndorf is, is a more uh, typical sized heavyweight currently. But like gas tank Gary Traub last year, you know, Gary's not a 250 pound guy. Right. Um, you know, so, so you're seeing, and some of that is the, the heavyweight position, um, the heavyweight, you know, the modern heavyweight, it's not um, a guy who's just the biggest guy on the team. There's some really agile athletic heavyweights, especially in the big 10. My God, if you look at the, the big 10 heavyweight seeds, the top three seeds, um, Gable Stevenson of Minnesota, Mason Paris of Michigan, and Anthony Cassiope of Iowa. And you could throw in um, Kirk Vlieta of Penn State, the, the, the guy who uh, I will always bring up precipitously uh, defected from Ohio State the day before the season started. And I'll let you draw your own conclusions about how you should feel about that. <laughs> um, but those, those three, four guys, not, Cassiope is more like a typical heavyweight in terms of watching it stylistically, but Stevenson, Paris, and Kirk Vliet, oh my God. Those guys are some of the most athletic, agile, mobile guys you'll ever see. Now, Paris is a true big. He's 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 a big guy. Um, where Stevenson doesn't look, you know, like he's just going to outmassive you. Um, mm -hmm. Kirk Vliet is tall and lean. Um, he's very muscular and athletic. These aren't guys that you look and say, "Oh yeah, he's a heavyweight." Just by looking right. at them, you know, they're not the traditional thirty-year-ago Big Ten um, heavyweight body type. So uh, we were talking about some of the other guys. The guys that you want to watch at this tournament, Sammy Sasso is Ohio State's number one seed at 149, uh, favorite to win the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament. Other highlights, I'm watching Ethan Smith at 165, who goes into Big Ten as a, uh, as a three seed probably. You know, we don't have the seeds out, but this Flow Wrestling is projecting he'd be a three seed, uh, and I think he's a guy who could be wrestling for the title. I don't know if he can get past the bowl. Uh, Alex Marinelli of Iowa. Uh, who is an Ohio native, but I, I think he's going to be in the fight. And likewise, uh, I'm a big Caleb Romero stand at 174. You know, Romero is going to come in somewhere between a four and a six seed. He had, he had a couple of um, matches that he dropped late because of injury. So he lost a close one to Kimmerer of Iowa. That that's a match that I think if he was on a healthy ankle that week, he would have won. And Logan Mass of Michigan mass is really good, but Romero was right there with him. So mm -hmm. I, I think Romero is going to be in that fight. Those are two guys I'm really excited to see in the tournament. Uh, and, you know, from there, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, Ohio State's going to have several guys who are seated kind of midway in the pack. Now, one of the things that you could say about that is, hey, they got lots of opportunities. Then if you're if you're a six or seven seed, you got an opportunity to work your way through that bracket and and wrestle for wrestle for the podium. Um, right. You know, as long as you're not coming in as a 16 seed, um, the 14 seed, I mean, you know, you're, you're probably going to be, um, competitive, but the big, so look, so look for runs, them. basically look for a guy to get yeah. hot. Yeah. And it makes a difference. You know, if they can get some confidence early and also that helps if they can get, you know, get some bonus points on guys and, and help Ohio state, uh, with the team score. Um, this is definitely not a typical seating for Ohio state where you come in with, you know, a half a dozen one and two seeds, you know, this is a, this is a lower seeded team most likely than Ohio state's had for a few years. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it's the big 10 tournament. It's anything can happen. Cause it's the best wrestling conference in the country. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, you know, in terms of excitement, you know, the wrestling tournament is just honestly, like it is just electric. It's awesome. Um, and I honestly, I, I hadn't been, it's not something that I had been paying attention to honestly until, you know, like 11 warriors, like we started bumping up our wrestling coverage, but it's, mm-hmm. it's something that I kind of wish I had picked up on earlier because it is fun as hell. So just watch. It is just really great. Here's the, here's the so, other thing I'll say, you know, if you've never watched it, this is your opportunity because the big 10 network is going to be covering the tournament wire to wire, um, yeah. where normally they might pick their spots and just just run say you know the finals or something along those lines but it's it's going to be wire to wire coverage so uh that'll be great good 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 chance to watch uh ohio state wrestling so that'll be saturday and sunday both um so check your local listings as they say for the big 10 wrestling championships from the bryce jordan center and university park pa nice uh, so we want to remind you that the Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com, drygoods.11warriors.com, shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of great stuff. Check it out. Good things. It, it's getting warmer out. So, you know, I'm not super happy about it, but I'm, I'm sure you likely are. So you can check out the uh, amazing shirts and everything that's that's on our fantastic uh, Dry Goods Store. Um, let's do some Ask Us Anything. You can send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com come to ask us literally anything anything that's on your mind send us a question we'll answer it we the, the more obtuse or weird the better we love those um this first one here is from our good friend alvin who wants to know if you could be a basketball superstar that's really really asking me to stretch my imagination a little bit here but if you could be a basketball superstar what kind of player would you want to be for example would you prefer to be a dominant big or a quick guard who can shoot from anywhere a utility player who can lock down any player on d who the hell would want to be utility player i'm not i'm not looking to be gary payton if i could be a basketball superstar <laughs> i'm not let's no I'm, I'm going for a little more glamorous than that uh i will say honestly i want to be I, and I, I don't like, and maybe it wouldn't be this dude. I don't, I don't like the the Curries of the world who are like kind of smarmy about it. Mm-hmm. But I like the really big douchebags who are like really long, like uh, Reggie Miller. Like I would want to be a Reggie Miller type, honestly. Catch and shoot. You know, you're not you're not doing anything super crazy. You're not banging in the middle. You're not taking hard hits or anything like that. Uh, you're just a catch and shoot dude. You're putting up 25 a game. That would be my kind of thing. And then just be a super big turd to the opposing like you know, bench. And like when you're on the road, you're wagging your finger at the crowd. That's me. That would be me. That's the kind of like basketball superstar I would want to be. Nice. Reggie Miller's seriously, honest to God, like that's how I would emulate my game after because I would just be the biggest, most obnoxious piece of crap in the history of the universe. And I would enjoy the hell out of it. Trash talk for the win. Oh my God be awful yeah i would say for me it is that that dominant big man uh okay i i, I guess this is because i am a big guy now I'm, no, I'm only six two i'm not you know i'm not yeah. nobody's confusing me for Shaq uh anytime soon but i'm i'm uh i'm built like a power lifter i guess and so maybe that's why i sort of uh embody that or, or I, I just can't imagine myself being the the gym rat point guard uh and then i have a hard time um, I was bad enough at horse that I can't imagine myself being the, the, the long ball specialist, but I can picture myself bodying some dudes under the rim and, uh, laying these hands and, and then, uh, taking it to the rack, you know, like that, that Shaquille O'Neal type game, like that's, that, that's probably my spirit animal avatar. 
Yeah. Let's, okay. let's go mix it up under the hoop and slam a jamma. I mean, nothing wrong with that. That's that's a that's a fun you know thing to emulate. I, honestly, like I can see the advantages there. To be seven feet tall and two hundred seventy five pounds, not not a bad gig. Honestly, I can I can handle one of those two. I'm I, 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 I don't I don't really have any inkling of what it's like to be seven feet tall, but I, I can I can I can check out the rest of it. You're halfway there, then, man. There you go. Uh, this Let's next one here, on the rack and stretch me out. Yeah. Uh, this one's from St. Louis Wookie. So he wants to know, similar to how college football coaches save some wrinkles for the postseason, do you think basketball coaches might do the same? So if Chris Holtman thinks he might see a team uh, like the one up north in the NCAA tournament and thinks he has a way to shut them down, does he save it for then as opposed to showing it during the regular season or the conference tournament? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say nope. Uh, basketball is not – I mean, yes, you have plays and you know game plans and stuff like that in basketball, obviously – but I, I think, especially with this team, you just want to see that they're doing what they do best consistently, which is scoring the ball, um, making sure that, like, you know, you're doing you, right? Which is like, yes, I guess you could check, okay, we're going to try and go, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I don't know. I think fooling around with it too much, you're worried about whether you guys are making shots and having some kind of wrinkle or whatever. That I don't know that that necessarily um benefits you all that much so i'm going to say no on that one yeah i don't think that's a thing i there might be plays that you you know yeah let's say it's an inbound play or something along those lines oh did you see by the way did you see that one inbound play where it was like a i think i think it might have been illinois ran it i can't remember but it was like a, a football play where they all were on the the baseline and then they all ran up like it was a you know like they were all wide receivers and then the guy with the ball was the quarterback and they just ran like routes and that's how they inbounded the just, ball just run four verticals man that's all you gotta do that, that, seriously it was hilarious yeah, yeah. it was incredible I, and it worked I'm, i i loved so you know one of the guys on the staff slack and it's probably been a few episodes since we mentioned that so it's good good time to break out the uh the dubcast drinking game yeah. um so one of the guys shared uh a uh, great gif of uh, Aaron Kraft inbounding the ball <laughs> off a defender's ass. Uh, yeah. and, then, and then, you know, inbounding it to himself off the guy's ass and making the layup. And uh, like yeah. that's the greatest inbound play of all time. Like, let's let's run that one back because it was hilarious. I don't even remember who it was against, but the gif cracked me up. Well, the problem, the problem with that is that you have to, you know, you're assuming that you're going to hit the layup, which not always. Right, well, you know, given. back to back to the the uh, discussion at the top of the program where we can we can stop carping about the Michigan State officiating if Ohio State hits some more layups. Right, <laughs> that would be great. Right. So if that if that can happen, then yes, more inbounds off people's butts. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that they save a whole lot. I think you just want your team to be consistent and good, especially when you're coming in a tournament time. So hopefully that's what Ohio State does. Look, you got one more big game against Illinois here before you have the tournament. You got, I think that's a must win. I really do. If you want to establish anything for March in the tournament time, you've got to win that damn game. Yeah. Um, I, I want them to look good either way, but man, they, I really think they have to win that game. They got to stop the bleeding. They got to get back to doing what they had been doing and then get some momentum in the big 10 tournament. And then who knows what will happen, but, um, we'll keep watching it. We'll keep monitoring it. And, uh, you know, next week we'll be back to break it down. So until then I'm Johnny, I'm Andy, and we'll see you next time.